Amen. Let's pray along with me, if you would. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth that you are supremely worthy of praise and entirely beautiful. This world is full of struggles and strife and sin that tries to crowd you out. So I pray that as we gather together as your people and get a taste of heaven, we would see your face. And all of those things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. By the power of your Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray these things together. So all of God's people said, Amen. Good morning. You may be seated. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Who's the him? Jesus. Jesus. Right. So why is it so hard for us to worship him as the sovereign savior that he is? Well, I want to show you. So let's continue to worship together as you open up your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 1. It's not our passage today. We'll get there, Lord willing. But I, something I want to show you that the Lord has hit me with in a passage that we're going to look at in more depth in a couple weeks, Lord willing, when we talk about the, the marriage, marriage matters in the toolkit. And we're going to look at it in light of, the, of marriage. But I want to look at it in light of why is it so hard for us to simply worship Jesus as the Lord of our lives. Look at verse 26 of chapter 1 of Genesis. It says, Then God said, Let us, there's the triune Godhead, make man in our image according to our likeness, and let him let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps over the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. So Adam and Eve are both created there. God blessed them. God blessed them. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds and over the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then the Lord said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which yields fruit. And it shall be food for you, and every beast of the earth, and so every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for fruit, for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let me ask you a question. Garden, perfection, no sin in the world yet. Was their obedience... A a cause of God gracing them. No, their obedience was to be a response to God's grace. God's already graced them. He says, I have given you. And he lists all these things I just read. He's summarized, I've given you everything. God says, I have given you everything. I have graced you with all of it. And if we, went, if we went on in Genesis, you look at Genesis chapter 12 through 17, God's call on Abraham's life, the father of our faith. Was, God, was Abraham's obedience the reason God graced him? 
No, we don't. It's just in, in Genesis 12, God just chose Abraham. That's grace. Abraham's obedience was a response to that grace. Guys, think about it. Don't turn there, but in Exodus chapter 19, so we go past Genesis to Exodus. Now they've been slaves in Egypt. Moses rises up. He's going to deliver them from the slavery that they're in. When you hear slavery, you ought to be thinking sin. And, and God says, you know. God says to them in, Genesis, in, in Exodus 19, you know how I delivered you. You know how I brought you out of your slavery. You know how I've brought you into new life. This is before they cross over the Red Sea. So he says, so when I take you across, don't forget me. Here's the question. For the Israelites that Moses was leading, was their obedience required for his grace? No. He'd already graced them. He says, you know, I have already delivered you. Grace was not a requirement for their obedience. Their obedience was the place that they experienced the grace of God. Or in their case, as we know from the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, how they didn't experience the grace of God. So let's go back to the garden here, back in Genesis, and look at this. So in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God's graced them, and he's already blessed them. And the blessing of grace is in the call. And then in Genesis chapter 2, it's just a, a blow-up of what we just read in Genesis chapter 1. It's just an expanded, it's just God takes the time to specifically address in a little bit more detail how he made man and woman. And the only thing I'll add there in chapter 2 is in verses 16 and 17, he says, I've given you everything, but here's one thing. Do not eat from this one tree. That's it. That's all. Everything else is yours. Just don't eat that. Just don't touch that. Just don't touch it. Right? How often do we do that as parents? Just don't touch it. And what, it's like, and you can almost see it. Like they're, they're like trying not to. Right? And, and, and hopefully as good parents, it's because we know that they will be blessed if they obey. Right? So let's look at Genesis chapter 3 and see why we cannot seem to do something simple like obey Jesus as Lord of our life. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent, Satan, that's next week's topic, spiritual warfare. Be, please, I'm going to ask you right up front, please be praying for me. Because when you teach a topic, the enemy, I mean the enemy was throwing all kinds of darts at me today because we're teaching on the lordship of Christ and, and Satan hates Jesus as Lord. And next week, I'm, I get the joy of preparing to teach on spiritual warfare. So I'm asking you all to pray for me this week specifically. The serpent, Satan, was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. He tries to get us to doubt God's word. Did God really say that? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of, of the garden we may eat. He's given, I mean, she, she's acknowledging, he's given us everything. He has given us everything. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. See, there's the, the enemy's next attack. Just, let's, let's just attack the truth of God's word. God's lying to you. That's not relevant today, Eve. Then look at verse 5. For God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So now he's going to attack God himself. God is selfish. God doesn't want you to be happy. God is holding back from you. So just take it, and here's the problem. We all fall for it. The fall, that's what we're reading right here, right? Because the next, we're going to get there in a minute when Eve takes the, that we call that the fall. We all fall for that. We all fall for this idea of, did God really say that? Does he really, is it really what's best for me? And is he just withholding something that is better? Guys, get this. Obedience is not the cause of God's grace. Obedience is the place that we experience God's grace. Day to day, moment by moment, all the time. But guys, we can look at this passage right here and we can go, why would they do that? They're in the garden. It's perfect. Everything's wonderful. They had everything. I would not have done that. Don't we do that all the time? Don't we do that every time Jesus says, do this, this is better. And we go, no. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yeah, but not today. Come on. Really? She's grumpy today. Right? Wives, follow your husbands because this is your umbrella of protection. Yeah, not that jerk. No way. Parents, obey. Our children, obey your parents as unto the Lord. For this is the first commandment with a promise. Yeah, but my parents don't really know what they're talking about. They're just old. How about all of us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two great commandments. And yet we go, yeah, but is that really true? Is there something better? Let me take a bite and find out. That's our biggest problem. Look at verses 6 through 9, and then we'll get to our passage. Because this is the answer to the question of, so why do we have such a hard time? Here's the answer. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to her eyes, see, now, just think about this in your own life, guys, how the enemy dangles stuff in front of us. Whether it's physical stuff or mental stuff, and that the tree was desirable to make, to make one wise. Oh, that's a good thing. I'll go do that. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave it also to her husband who was with her. So Adam was right there this whole time, and he ate too. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called to the man, and said to him, where are you? What'd you do? What'd you go and do? And the rest of this book is about reconciling that relationship. What we just read right there, the rest of all of this is about how God is relentlessly reconciling his people to himself. So today's question or today's topic is, the, is obeying Jesus as Lord. And the question that I want to ask today is, what will, it, what will make Jesus truly Lord of your life? What will make Jesus truly the Lord of your life? But here's the problem. We ask a question. Are you grace-centered or are you truth-centered? Like churches will kind of be one way or the other. Are you going to just preach grace and nothing else? Your behavior doesn't matter because it's all about grace? Or is it all just truth, truth, truth here? Just choke on some more truth. That's fundamentally the wrong question. Grace or truth. Right? That's not what we're going to get to today. 
Because the answer is not found in just being grace-centered or just being truth-centered. Obedience certainly matters to God. Our obedience certainly matters to God. But grace always comes first. Grace always comes first. Our obedience does not in some way inspire God to grace us. He graces us. That should compel us to obedience. And in that obedience, guess what we find? Him! What did Adam and Eve lose when they became disobedient? His presence. Because what's the very next thing that he does? He puts them out of the garden where he is. Obedience or not obedience really is the question of do you want to be in the presence of the Lord or do you not want to be in the presence of the Lord? That's the question we're going to wrestle through today as we look at saying, what does it look like to make Jesus Lord of your life? Obedience is the realm where we experience the grace of God. Obedience is the realm where we experience the grace of God. So let's turn to our passage, Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to go through it fairly quickly because that was all just introduction, but... This passage I've had written in my Bible for more than tw- for probably 20 years, my life verse next to this passage, because this is my wrestle, this is my struggle, and this is my hope and joy. So let's look and see what the answer to the question is, because obedience is all about grace. So, we're, so our, our three points are going to all be about grace. The first one is in the first couple of verses of our passage, verses, chap- verses 7 through 9 of chapter 3 of Philippians. If you don't know where we're at, we're in Philippians chapter 3, towards the, towards the middle of your New Testament. Grace calls us to new life. Grace calls us to new life. So let's look at verses 7 through 9. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ, and that I may know him. I'm sorry, that I may be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. When he says there in verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, I count as lost for the sake of Christ, he's, he, uh, this is part of what God really wrestled, even though I, I've loved this passage for years, where God really wrestled with me in this first part of it. Here's the thing. You, here's what we've got to know about Paul. This, this letter of Philippians was written towards the end of his life. He's already been walking with Jesus for about 30 years. He's written much of the New Testament that we hold in our hands now. And when he, what he says is, I consider it all loss. He's, he, here's what he's talking about. He had a really good thing going before Jesus showed up. He had a really good life before Christ came into it. From a worldly perspective, he was gold. Right? He was the Pharisee. Of, and that's what he talks about in the, in the first part of the chapter. He's like, man, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I was set up. And, and in my flesh, because he, he wrestles through this, and the passage that Kim read as part of her testimony in, in Romans chapter 7 is proof of this. Paul still wrestled, guys. Paul was not Jesus. Paul sinned just like the rest of us. And, and he's wrestling through as he's looking at all these people living the good life. Best life now. Win it life. And he's going, and that could have been me. And what he's learned and is still learning at this point, we'll see in a minute, is I have learned that all of that was refuse. It actually means 
animal dung. That was all, and I won't use the word here, but that was all junk compared to knowing Christ. He is convinced and is convincing himself all at the same time that that's true. And then in verse 8 he says, more than that. Now here's what's interesting. He could have just said the Greek word day, D-E, which just means, which is a way of saying but. Or he could have said Allah, which is the more like stronger way of saying but. He doesn't just say, he runs four Greek words together to say more than that. Here's why that matters. What he's trying to convey to the writers that would have read the original language is he's saying, guys, more than anything else ever could possibly be. This is the biggest but I can give you. Like, this is it. Like, this is, guys, this is it. More than that, I counted all loss. It's not just that I've learned to let go. I've learned to disdain. Right? I've learned that I don't, even, I don't even like that stuff anymore. Why? Why? So that I might gain Christ. Guys, here's what he's telling us. If you keep holding on to your junk, you do not have a hand free to grab onto Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. That's what he's telling us. That's what he's telling me. That's the wrestle I've been in all week long. What junk am I not willing to let go of so that I might gain Christ? I've used this before, what we fixate on, our minds migrate towards, what our mind meditates on, our hearts look like, what molds our heart, consumes our soul, what consumes our soul, defines our life, what defines our life, determines our destiny. Don't try to write it all down. It'll be on our Facebook page. You can look it up later. But here's the question. If you have been born again to new life by the grace of God, do you see everything else as less and him as so much better? Does Christ consume your soul? That's what Paul's asking us. Paul, Paul's saying Christ consumes my soul. So let me give you some specifics. Again, that I wrestled through. Hey, why don't you watch this, um, this inspiring message or movie? Or uh, uh, why don't you, you, know, you, you weren't able to be at church because your kids were sick. Why don't you download the message and listen to it so you can be, you know, I don't have time but you're binge-watching your favorite show on Netflix. How about this one? How about, you know what, best way to renew your mind is to memorize Scripture so you can claim the promises of God. You know what, I'm not really good at memorizing stuff. I'm sorry. I can't really do that. But I'll ask that same dude who the new coach at whatever school or college is that has nothing to do with Arizona, and they're not even a fan of, and they know exactly who that coach is. Or, hey, who's, who's... Who's leading the National League East? And they know exactly the standings of, without looking at their phone app. So don't tell me you can't memorize stuff. You can. It's just what you want to memorize. Right? How about ladies? Not only just ladies. I mean, I'm on Facebook, but I just can't get up in the morning and read my Bible. It's just, I am not a morning person. But your Facebook feed, your Instagram, your Snapchat, dare I say every, every man's bane of existence, Pinterest. <laughs> Honey, can you make this for me? No! Right, those things are just overwhelming your time. But I don't have time to read my Bible. How about this one, young people, and not just young people. You have reached the level of superhuman on Fortnite. But you can't 
discipline yourself to godliness just to read for 15 minutes a day or to encourage a brother or sister in Christ. Guys, here's the thing. TV is not the demon box. We have a TV. We have a bunch of DVDs. If, ha- if you all walked through our room where we have our DVDs in our house, half of you would look and go, you have some really boring DVDs. And the other half would go, I'm leaving the church. <laughs> like, seriously. I- I'm not here to say, this is what's good and this is what's bad. I'm not. But guys, if there is stuff that you are entertained by that would be an affront to Jesus Christ, what is that saying about the condition of our heart? If your time, time is the most precious resource we have. It's the only thing he's not making more of for you. All your days are numbered when, as, when there was not one. If you're not making the most of your time, what is that saying about your love for Christ? That's what Paul is asking us. Don't beat up me, beat up Paul. Guys, how about this one? And I'll kind of wrap this point up with this. And we're going to take a minute and pray about this. If we are holding on to and not willing to let go of some besetting, ongoing sin, it could be something ugly and gruesome. It could just be something selfish and, and something that you just know God has been asking me. Guys, remember we talked about this. When you hold on to that thing, you are in bondage to Christ. I mean to Satan. When you hold on to that thing, you are in bondage to Satan. When you let go of it, you find freedom in Christ. So what are the things that you're holding on to? And what is that saying about your heart condition? You guys, I I, I was never huge fans, but in 2003, the the magician Siegfried and Roy, they were the ones that had the trained tigers, I think, right? One of them was attacked by the tiger, mauled, severely, ended the show. Here's the funny part. People were shocked. People were shocked that this tiger had attacked this man because they'd done this show a hundred times. Guys, it's a tiger. It is, it has one purpose in life by God, and that is to eat stuff. And we're shocked that it tried to eat him? But here's why. Because they thought because we'd played with it, because we'd nurtured it, because we'd been nice to it, we could tame it. You cannot tame a tiger. What's that have to do with anything? Some of you figured it out already. That's what we do with sin. I can tame this one. I can control this one. I can make this one my friend. Sooner or later, it will eat you. It just will. And I'm speaking from personal experience. If the pursuit of holiness is missing in my life, I pray this every other day of the week. If the pursuit of holiness is missing in my life, it is because sin has lost its meaning. And that means grace has lost its message. If the pursuit of holiness in my life is missing, it is because sin has lost its meaning as an affront to the God who made me. And the worst part about that is that means grace has lost its message. Because if I don't lay my sin before him and let go of it, I cannot grab a hold of the grace that he's offering to me. And that's what we're going to pray for right now. Join with me as I pray. Father, I just come to you right now and I ask that you would search us, O God. We're just going to take a minute and I would ask us all right now 
that your Holy Spirit would search us, O God. That you know our hearts. That you try our anxious thoughts. That you point out anything in us that offends you. And that by your grace, you would lead us in the everlasting way. By the cross of Christ alone. Amen. So grace calls us to a new life, and it's a new kind of life. It's not just new life, it's a new kind of life. But obeying Christ cannot be done in our will. This is not just, a, I'm going to white knuckle, I'm going to walk out of here. There's another one of those Doug's messages where he's pounding me and I'm feeling convicted. First of all, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. Second, and Paul, and Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit, so blame the Holy Spirit. But, but I'm going to walk out of here. What, we, what I do all the time is I'm going to white knuckle will this thing into existence. Guys, we can't. We can't. Your obedience is not done by your will, but by God's grace alone. If you get nothing else out of today's message, grace always comes first. Grace always comes first. And, second point, grace calls us to a glorious death. Doesn't that sound uplifting? Grace calls us to a glorious death. Look at the next two verses. So Paul keeps going, verses 10 and 11. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's telling us death now means glorious life for eternity. He has known Jesus as Savior for 30 years. He is in the process, continually ongoing process, of pressing into Christ to know Him as Lord. That I might know him as Lord. That doesn't mean I knew him when I got saved and now I just keep going. He is saying I have to keep getting to know him as my Lord. I know he saved me. I know my eternity secured. I know I will receive the final resurrection. But I want to press into him and know him as my Lord. Is ultimately what Paul is telling us here. I love how the ESV translates verse 11, instead of just saying, in order, he, it says, that by any means possible. That's a very clear translation of the Greek there. Paul is telling us, I will do whatever it takes to fillet my flesh and follow Jesus as, as Christ, as Lord of all. Our faith is not simply, Paul's telling us, guys, our, our obedience matters. Our faith is not simply a said faith. It needs to be a seen faith. If you don't believe Paul, you say, well, that was just Paul. That wasn't Jesus. And there's a lot of that teaching going on now. That they're saying that Paul's gospel was different than Christ's gospel because Paul was too much about behavior and Jesus was all about grace. What do you do with, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you to do? 
Jesus Christ quoted Luke 6, verse 46. Matthew 7, many will say to me on the last day, didn't we call you Lord? Didn't we do amazing things in, the, in your name? And what does he say to them? Depart from me, for I never knew you. Guys, calling yourself a Christian and being a Christian are two completely different things. Look at how Paul says it. Look down past our passage a little bit to verse 17. So that I'm not just, you're not just going to hear because I know all those things where the church is full of unbelievers. Yes, it is. But look at verse 17. So was the church in Paul's day. Verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Sounds arrogant. Here's what he's trying to, com he's trying to combat. He's saying there's, you'll, you'll see it in a second. He's saying, guys, follow my example because I know I'm his. All of you. I'm not saying follow me. I'm saying find someone who you know is following Christ and follow them. One of the things, I've, if I ever had to get to a place where I was looking for a church, and we have people who come and go in and out of here all the time looking for a church, I'll tell you what I would look for. Certainly good Bible teaching, certainly all, all those things that, that we would normally know of, the gospel being preached, but I would look at the man who is standing in front of you, and I say this, guys, with all humility, it's not in my notes, I would look at the man and his life and his family. Why? Because Paul says, and Jesus says, by their fruit, you will know them. Amen. Right? Him in me is what's created them. Not me. Not Carrie. Him in us has created those three girls that you see. That are better worshipers than I am, and I'm not talking about music. Look at what Paul says. Verse 18, for many walk, guys, the, the, way to, the, way to, the way to translate that, for many walk is many profess faith in Christ. For many walk, so many, many people are saying they're Christians, of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Guys, not being, a, being in church does not make you a Christian. Saying you're a Christian does not make you a Christian. Go back to the garden. Don't physically, just stay in Philippians, but think about it. Back to the garden. Think about that. Guys, we have been given everything by Jesus Christ. We have been given everything. We have been invited to the banquet of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we settle for eating mud pies. Let me pray to that end. So Father, I come to you right now and I pray for those in this room and for my own heart too. Lord, we are nothing apart from you. Doug is nothing apart from you. Christ in me is the only hope of glory. 
Christ in us is the hope of our glory. But I pray right now there are people in this room that I know do not know that experience. That they do not know you as Savior, let alone Lord of their life. They have not yet laid it all down at the foot of the cross so that you can pick them up. Lord, do it now. Lord, right now in the name of Jesus Christ, I compel Satan to hell where he belongs and I pray that your Holy Spirit would open the eyes of the blind people who hear my voice. That they would just see you as beautiful. As you pick them up out of the filth that they're in. Clean them up. Just like you did to me 25 years ago. That we might walk worthy of the gospel by which we've been called. In Jesus' name. So what will make Jesus Lord of, his, of your life? Grace calls us to a new life. Grace calls us to a glorious death. And grace calls us to press onward and upward. <laughs> And even though this is probably my favorite part of the passage, it's the part I will spend the least time on because I think this is the one we all kind of cling to already. I love Paul's honesty. Not that I've already obtained it. I'm in verse 12. Or become perfect. He's like, guys, don't, don't set me up as some standard. Don't, don't. Guys, I, I shouldn't have said what I just said. I repent of that, Lord. I pray that you are glorified in that. There is nothing good in me that is not of you. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I press on. I press on. Why? Because there is the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that is so, so much better than anything we got going down here. Here's our problem. We are a forgetful people. In Jeremiah chapter 2, God's speaking through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2 and he says, he says, don't turn there, but take notes. Jeremiah 2, 11 through 13. He says, my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. And then it says, they have dug for themselves cisterns that won't even hold water. He says, I am the, I, he says there, I am the living water. And my people are walking around with shovels, digging holes, trying to find the answer to things that they think will fill them up and bring them refreshment, and they're missing me. This was written 600 years before Christ. And Christ comes and says, I am the fountain of living water. Come to me, all who are thirsty. You will never thirst again. Our job. In, in the Instruments and Redeemers, in the Instruments of Change study that we're doing through Paul Tripp's book, one of the quotes this last week was this. I love this quote. We meet people as they desperately dig, 
and lovingly ask them for their shovels. We gently turn them away from their digging and joyfully turn them to the man, Jesus Christ. Guys, here's the thing. When we look back, we tend to feel regretful because usually the enemy brings up all the bad stuff we did. When we look around, we get fearful. When we look up, we rejoice. We need to be a people that keep looking up. But how and why? Guys, here, here's the only, so here's the, here's the answer to the, here's the question and the answer. Today's question, what will make Jesus Lord of your life? Here's the only answer, that by the grace of God, by the grace of God alone, you will see Jesus as better. That's been my prayer for you and for me this week. What will make Jesus Christ Lord of your life? It is not white-knuckle white, white obedience. It's not just strong discipline, and I'm a strong person. If that's why you're being obedient, he doesn't like that anyway. The only thing that will make Jesus Christ truly the Lord of your life is when you see Jesus as better. Better than your stuff. Better than your struggles that you're sinning through. Better than how you're spending your time. Better than your sleep. When you see Jesus as just better, more beautiful, more lovely, more amazing, more powerful than anything else, he will make himself the Lord of your life. As the music team comes up and we're going to close our time in music and then in fellowship over a meal, I just want to ask you a couple of questions real quick. One is, what practically needs to change in your life today? Practically. What, what one or two things practically could you do? Because we, we're all still people and we need like, like I, I do need to figure out what to do. So what are one or two things that you could practically do that would make Jesus become more beautiful to you in your life? That would make you want him more? And then the last thing I would say is, are you praying, specifically, intentionally praying, that he would become your number one hunger? That you would want nothing more than him? In your bulletin, there's a little insert, and so I'm going to close with this and pray, and the music team will lead us in worship, and Something I had, my, my daughter reminded me of this uh, when she took, me out on, she took me out on a date this last week, and she reminded me that I had this in my office when she was little, this, this one. I'm not sure she had hair yet, but she didn't have hair until she was like four. <laughs> but I had it up, and I had all these pictures of my family surrounding it, and it says this, when I reach the end of my days, a short time from now, I must look back at something more meaningful than the pursuit of houses and land and machines and toys and bank balances, nor is fame of any lasting benefit. I will consider my earthly existence to have been wasted unless I can recall a loving family, a consistent investment in the lives of people, and an earnest attempt to serve the God who made me.
And there is no better time than now to assess the values which are worthy of my time and effort. So Father, I come to you and I would ask that you would search my heart once again and show me the things that I pick off the tree and take a bite of. And Lord, um, I want to pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters that are here that do know you that when we do take a bite of something other than you, when we pick up that idol, I pray that you would make it taste like animal dung. Don't let us find joy in it. Let us find our joy in Jesus alone. For those that are here and they do not know that joy, Lord, I do pray that today they would stick around for the meal, specifically, that they'd stick around for the meal and they would talk to me or, to, or to just somebody here. Everybody here would love to tell them the difference you have made in their lives. But they have to lay it down so that you can pick them up. In Jesus' name, amen.